commit yourself completely to Anapanasati. Let go of Vipassana, reflection, all your ideas and mantras. Nisargadatta, <laughs> all your views and opinions that come from reading Krishnamurti, <laughs> Zen, Ubakin, <laughs> the whole kind. Just do the Anapanasati. brighten up the mind. To see what you can do with it. clearing out and calming down, and the mind feels very calm. And it seems almost effortless, you're just sitting there in, kind of, in a kind of peaceful state of mind. We're clearing out the mind like, like sharpening a knife or a sword. Use anapanasati, samatha meditation because it makes the mind very sharp if you don't have any stomach any ability to to concentrate then you're just a helpless victim of every mood and every sensory thing that impinges on you blown this way that way by life But it does, this because of its subtlety, you have to put forth the effort. You have to develop that energy from the mind itself, from the jitta. Because you're not going to get it outside. You're not going to, there's not a television or something. You don't have any kind of outside things to give you energy. You have to put the energy, rouse energy through the body, right, the posture. You think slump, hold the body straight, feel the spine, pull upward on the spine, drop the shoulders, relax the body, don't make it stiff, but maintain its posture so that it's very straight, the chest thrown out. the neck in alignment with the with your neck drooping down like this then down back like that so the neck's in alignment <clears throat> you can get energy going through the whole body energize the body and then you're bringing 
up energy from the very, from the spine, but to be attentive to this breath. <clears throat> the whole kind of practice, not just, not just kind of a, a spot on the nose, but you're using the body, the whole body and the energy in it to concentrate the mind on one spot, one point. You might, it might seem like you just concentrate on one point and to hell with the body. <laughs> then your body flops all over the place and you get a sore back or a sore neck. <laughs> You're bringing it, the, the body is an energy can formation, so you bring that energy to one point, remember that, to that breathing, to the sensation of breathing at the nostrils, concentrating that energy of the body <clears throat> to one point, so that, that's why you're composing, collecting, collecting it all on one point. Very skillful thing to do. Most people just dissipate it all over the place. Notice, like, like if you've ever been with uh, people who are just schizophrenics or mentally deranged, they're, they're just off every which way. Can't concentrate on anything. Whatever, just whatever impinges on them, there, there they follow. Talk to a schizophrenic uh, kind of speech. It's just, it's just kind of whatever, whatever happens, they, they follow. They, they follow every impulse. They can't compose it on composing their minds on any one thing. It's just on anything that's happening. It's pulled into anything that's happening around. That's one extreme, isn't it? No, nobody here is that bad. But the... And now, say, we're composing the mind on just this one point as, a, as an exercise, not as a... not as a compulsive habit, And then to open the mind, to let go of even the one point, to watch, to be the witness, the silent watcher. That the Buddha, the Buddha mind that watches, investigates, and understands the Buddha, through Buddha wisdom that all that arises passes away is not self. attention to just the movement of your feet, touching the pressure of the 
feet touching the ground, standing on the ground, or the right foot, left foot. You can use the mantra Uto for that also. U on the right, toe on the left. to be with walking from one point to the other. <clears throat> Use the span of the Jongrom path. You can be fully with, fully alert to the sensation of walking from the beginning of the Jongrom path to the end. Use an ordinary pace to Just a normal pace, you don't have to have too slow or too fast. Try to get, develop a normal pace, and then you can slow it down or speed it up according to it. But the, 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 uh, the um, practice of Buddhist meditation around the, more around the ordinary things than the special, like the ordinary breath not special breathing practices. The sitting posture, rather than standing on your head. Normal walking, rather than running, jogging, or walking uh, methodically slow, tediously slow. Just or kind of a, a decent pace, relaxed pace. So you're, you're mindful, you're, you're, you're practicing you're around what's most ordinary, because what's most ordinary we don't really notice that much, because it's so ordinary we take it for granted. And now we're bringing attention to all the things we've taken for granted, never noticed, such as your own mind and body. <laughs> like these doctors that get all this medical training, physiology and anatomy. They can tell you what's on a chart, but they don't know their own bodies. And they're with their bodies. They sleep with their bodies. They're born with their bodies. They grow old. They have to live with it, feed it, exercise it, and they'll tell you all about a liver as if it was on a chart. <laughs> easier to to look at a liver on a chart than to be aware of your own liver, isn't it? So we look at the world as if somehow we aren't a part of it. And what's most ordinary, what's most common, we miss because we, we're looking at what's extraordinary. Television's extraordinary. It's not ordinary, is it? It's miraculous. Uh, they, can, they can get on television all kinds of fantastic things, fantasies, do all kinds of exciting, adventurous, romantic things on the telly. It's a miraculous thing. It's, extra, it's not ordinary, it's extraordinary. So it's easy to, to concentrate on it. <laughs> mesmerized by the telly. But what's ordinary, such as your own body and mind as it is, 
when the body becomes extraordinary, like it, it uh, becomes very ill or very painful or feels very ecstatic or very kind of wonderful feeling going through it, we know that we like that, we notice that, or if it's very painful, we notice that, we'd like to get rid of it. But just ordinariness of the body, just its weight, its pressure as it is right now without be even pain. Just the pressure of one of the right foot on the ground. Just the pressure, just the the movement of the breath, the ordinary breathing. Just the sitting here of your body, sitting on a on the seat. When there, there's not any special kind of extreme sensation, just but just the pressure of the of the body in contact with the seat. Those are the things we've awakened to now. We're bringing attention to the way things are in ordinary life. When life becomes extreme or extraordinary, we, call it, we find we can cope with it quite well. <clears throat> There's a question, what will you do? They'd like to ask pacifists and conscientious objectors this famous question. You don't believe in violence. You wouldn't fight. You're a pacifist. Then what would you do if a maniac was attacking your mother? That's something that I think most of us have never had to worry about very much. <laughs> it's not the kind of ordinary daily occurrence in one's life. <laughs> but if such an extreme situation did arise, I'm sure we would do something that would be, if we're mindful now and wise, we would do the right thing then, too. So rather than bringing it, speculating about what we would do in some extreme situation, we're now do, being mindful of life as it, in its most ordinary forms. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down, eating food, watching your breath. Looking at, just observing the way the mind is, what comes, goes, what arises, passes. And so this is, now you're, you're say you're integrating this mindfulness, if a maniac attacks your mother and you're there, you'd be very mindful, believe me. Just because of the tension in the situation, you're just, you're just alert. <clears throat> you say, no, this maniac, he is attacking my mother. What should I do according to the Vinaya precepts? Maybe I should go and ask Venerable Tiritamo. <laughs> while the man bashing his mother up and saying, what do you do when a maniac is attacking your mother? <laughs> of course we wouldn't do that unless something a bit off about it. In some tension like that, you're alert, you do something. But that's according to the moment, isn't it? There are many things, there's no isolated instant in time 
Everything is karmically connected so that when we're aware, we can cope with the extreme things very easily. We do. Even the, even the nuttiest person can call on, can be mindful in extreme situations. But in ordinary life, when there isn't anything extreme going on, we're just sitting here, we can be completely nutty, can't we? People are. It's a, I've taken a... I, it says in the Padimokha discipline um, that we shouldn't hit anyone. So then I sit here 18 years worrying about what will I do if a maniac attacks my mother. <laughs> Great moral problem, isn't it, in an ordinary situation. Well, I'm sitting here, and my mother isn't even here. And in all these years, no maniac, there hasn't been even a, even a slightest threat to my mother's life from maniacs. From maybe California drivers, yes. These great moral questions, those we can answer easily and the, the, at the time, the place, if we're now, we're mindful of this time and this place. And we're bringing attention, not just drifting off into fantasy or, or ideas, but bringing attention to just the ordinariness of our human condition, the breathing of the body, the walking from one end to, from one end of your jongong path to the other, to the feelings of pleasure and pain. <clears throat> we go on in the retreat, we, we examine absolutely everything. What, and know everything as it is. This is our practice of vipassana, to know things as they are, not according to some theory or some assumption we make about them. Thing where you, you get dulled by it. Really, the 
effort and realize how, how you can energize the mind, brighten it up, just by doing so, just an act of will. So that the, for the inhalation on the pool is, is a bright inhalation, fully alert and bright, not just a perfunctory kind of blue sound. It fades out and gets lost without that because it never gets brightened or refreshed by your mind. So that the, you can visualize just uh, the, the spelling or just ways of skillful means of being fully with that for the length of an inhalation from the beginning to the end. Then toe on the exhalation, the same way. The syllable toe is brightened, brightening on the exhalation. Is, is, you're completely with that for the length of an exhalation. So there's this kind of continuity of effort with an sporadic leaps and starts and then failures. <clears throat> Holding the body straight so that you can get the energy through it. Not to thinking, get caught in thought, you just go around and around. Just what notice how, do you have any obsessive thoughts that are coming up in this retreat? stupid phrase might be going through your mind. Just uh, as you kind of just passively sit here, then obsessive, the most ridiculous things can just can't, can't go through the mind. <clears throat> so that if you just think into a passive state, obsessive thought and that will take over. So this way, not, an, uh, not to aversion to that, but a skillful way of developing, of learning to understand how the mind works, how to use it skillfully. You're taking this particular thought, this concept of Buddha, the Buddha, the one who knows, holding it in the, the mind as a thought but not as just an obsessive, perfunctory habit, habitual thought, but a skillful thinking, skillful use of thought, sustaining, using it to sustain attention, concentrate for the length of one inhalation, exhalation, for 15 minutes. Then the practice is also, no matter how many times you fail, once you start wandering and you're not putting enough effort in, you know that you're, that you're distracted or you're thinking about it. You'd rather not bother with Bhutto. Sometimes I don't want to do that. You'd rather just sit here and relax and not have to put forth any effort. Don't feel like doing it. Or, Maybe they've got 
other things on your mind at this time that kind of creeping in the edges of consciousness take over. So you note that. You note what the mood, the, the way it is right now in your mind. But then you resolve at this time because the occasion has arisen for just anapanasati. <clears throat> Unless there's an earthquake or a fire or a nuclear bomb that goes off, there's nothing to do for the next 15 minutes but watch your breath. <laughs> if they drop a nuclear bomb on the Chitra's house, then we'll do something else. Maybe we won't be able to do anything after that. But don't worry about that right now. Worry about that after. What will, don't try to solve the problem of what will you would do when they drop, if they drop a nuclear bomb on Chichester Town. But just instead of trying to figure that one out, just develop this practice with patient, mindful, use, skillful use of the word buto the ordinary breathing rhythm of your body. Not to be critical or discouraged, but to just calmly, coolly notice what was, if you feel calm by it, or you feel dull or sleepy, if you've been thinking all this time, or if you've been concentrated, <coughs> just to know. With the big obstacle to concentration practice is aversion to failure and this incredible desire to, to succeed at it. Not a matter of, of just willpower, but of, of wisdom. Of just repressing things and just developing a strong willpower without an ounce of wisdom, but using wisdom with this practice. You can learn where you where your weaknesses are, where you tend to get lost. Kind of character traits you've developed from your life so far. Not to be critical of them, but to know them so you'll know how to work with it. Not be just uh, enslaved to those habits. In uh, what we're our goal, our inclination is to Nibbana, to right understanding. Not going to heaven is an act of willpower to avoid hell, which is different, totally different thing. And when you want to be happy and you want to go to heaven and be happy and have beautiful things around you, you, you have to get away from all the ugly, painful side of existence. 
is to repress that, push it out, not look. But in this way, this inclining to an imana means a careful, wise reflection on the way things are. So even the ugliest messes are observed and recognized rather than just avoided at all costs. With that enduring quality, coolness of mind. Nibbana is oftentimes described as being cool. A cool number. Somebody that's cool. Sounds like hip talk, doesn't it? But there's a certain significance to that word. Coolness is hard. Not hot. Doesn't tends to be refreshing. Not caught up in passions, but kind of detached, alert, balanced, cool. And being human beings, we can't learn the truth from the expansion and contraction of the universal system on its macrocosmic scale. We can't learn that way. So don't, I mean, it's a waste of time to try to understand that, try to experience universal expansion and contraction. All you need to know is your breath. From this microcosm. Then the word buto. Use that word like very skillfully. It's a word that you can develop in your life. It's a kind of something to to use to 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 fill the mind with, rather than with worries and all kinds of, you know, unskillful habits. You take the word, you look at it, you listen to it. Bhutto, it means the one who knows. The Buddha, the one who knows. The awakened, that which is awake. <clears throat> you can visualize it in your mind. Listen to it from, from your mind saying it, thinking it. And using that one word rather than all kinds of words. The verbal diarrhea of the mind. Blah, 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 blah. It was all like that. It's like diarrhea, isn't it? It just pours out. Endless kind of excrement, and just repressed fears and aversions. So we recognize that. So we don't use buto as a club and say, get out of your chest, the awful stuff, and then blast it with a buto and end up with. <laughs> repressing it again, isn't it? 
You're not using Bhutto as a club to annihilate or get rid of things, but as a skillful means. Like, I would sometimes practice this, and the mind would be obsessed with some kind of silly thoughts. And, and then I just very, very patiently imposed Bhutto over the thinking. Not, not as a kind of just out of exasperation and being fed up with my mind, but just suddenly just taking the word and just deliberately thinking it in a gentle but firm way. When we just use, we can use the finest tools for, for killing and for harming others, can't we? We can take the most beautiful Buddha Rupa. This one's a bit big, but they're more manageable toys, and fire somebody over the head with them if you want. That's not what we call Bhutan or Sati. Reflection on Buddha, is it? Right around taking a Buddha Rupa and bashing people over the head with it. It's not what we call wise reflection on Buddha. But we might do that with the word Bhutto as soon as un some unpleasant things come to the mind. To take Bhutto as a kind of suppression of unpleasant thoughts or feelings. It's like taking a Buddha Rupa and giving somebody a bash. So it's an unskillful use of it. Remember, we're not here to annihilate, but to allow things to fade out. So that for that, it's, very, it's skillful, wise, and gentle practice rather than uh, an aggressive, forced one where you uh, like taking a machine gun and shooting everything that gets in your way. And this kind of practice, you're just doing it with, with experimenting with it in your in your mind. You just, the world needs to learn how to do this, doesn't it? The United States, the Soviet Union, need how rather than just take machine guns and nuclear weapons blow and, and annihilate things that get in their way, or just say awful, nasty things to each other. Uh, this, this past year, the United States and the Soviet Union say the most awful, wounding things to each other you've ever heard in your life, haven't they? Two superpowers saying the nastiest, most awful things to each other. And, and there's supposed to be countries where you vote and elect your leaders. And, and yet, in our lives, uh, we uh, we do that, don't we? How many of you have said nasty things to someone else recently? Wounding things, and unkind little barbs and criticisms. Just because they annoy you or get in your way, frighten you. <clears throat> so now, in in our monastic life practice, is this: with the little nasty, annoying things in your own mind, the things that we can't 
trivial, foolish stupidity, things that are that we don't like, don't want. You use Bhutto not as a club, but as a skillful means of allowing it to go, to let go of it. Let's think if Ronald Reagan said Bhutto to the drum drop off, rather than calling him the focus of evil in the world. It's a much more skillful thing. If Mr. Reagan says, evil in the world is our own stupidity. My stupidity is the focus of evil in the world right now. There's a man you can respect. My wrong views, my stubbornness, that's the focus of evil in the world at this moment. Meditation, you're investigating or watching 
using anicca, dukkha, natta, the three characteristics, to observe mental and physical phenomena. If any, you have obsessive thoughts of any sort, like, just bring them up into consciousness, deliberately bring them up. The skillful means or upaya is a lot of fear and hatred, anger is oftentimes repressed out of consciousness. In meditation now, you're, you're freeing the mind from repressing, blindly repressing. So there's time now when things come up when you find yourself obsessed with some kind of maybe trivial thoughts or fears or doubts, worries or anger. You don't even analyze it and try to figure out why you have it. But make it fully conscious. Meaning that you really frightened something, consciously be frightened, don't, don't just kind of back away from it, but notice that tendency to try to get rid of it. Bring up fully what you're frightened of, say, think it out quite deliberately, and listen to your thinking, not to analyze, you don't want a conceptual answer, it's not necessary, but just to observe that take fear to its, to its absurd end, where it becomes so ridiculous you can start laughing at it, or jealousy, or uh, anger, hatred. Listen to desire, it's the mad kind of madness in the mind, so I say, I want this, I want that, I've got to have I don't know what I'll do if I don't have this, I want that. Sometimes the mind can just scream away, I want this. And you can listen to that. That which is, that which listens, that knows that as a condition. Sometimes I was reading about confrontations and California kind of therapies where you scream at each other and that kind of thing. Say all the repressed things in your mind. It's a kind of catharsis. But the one thing missing is wise reflection on it and listening to that screaming as a condition rather than as a kind of letting myself go and saying what I really think. And kind of one assumes that that's what one really is, is this kind of screaming banshee. But actually, that is only a condition of the mind that you can observe. That which knows that condition is not that, is it? That steadiness of mind that you're willing to endure the most horrible thoughts. Take the thoughts to absurdity so that they become, they're seen as just thoughts, as just a natural progression of, fear, of, of horrible thoughts based on fear. And they'll all end up in being about the worst thing you can possibly think. 
that you're frightened of thinking. You notice there's a certain thoughts we're terribly frightened of thinking because we think we're just so we don't know we don't want to have such thoughts or have such things in us. But in this way it's not it's not believing that those are what are your true self or any personal problem, but you're taking fear and anger mentally to an absurd position to where it's just seen as, as just a natural progression of thought to where you, you, you think all the things you, you're afraid of thinking. But you're doing it deliberately, not out of, not out of uh, just blindness, but you're actually watching and listening to it as a condition of the mind rather than as a personal failure or a personal problem. It's called kind of catharsis, but it's also a way of freeing the mind from uh, repressed fears and desires. So in uh, this practice now, they begin to let things go. With some upset, you don't have to go around looking for particular things, but when things, if you feel obsessed with something, there's something, some silly thought or fear or emotion keeps rising up and bothering you and you're trying to get rid of it, then bring it up even more. Well, deliberately think it out. Listen. Like you're listening to someone talking on the other side of the fence. Some gossipy old fishwife. He did this and he did that and then he did this and then he did that. Well, <laughs> listening and this old lady just goes, rambles on and you see, you just hear it as a voice rather than judging it, saying, oh, oh, I hope that's not me, I hope that's not my true nature or or trying to shut, shut her up and say, no, old bag, I wish you'd go away. We all have that, even, even I have that tendency. I told you about my Jewish mother getting up at two o'clock in the morning when I used to sleep up in the room at Venerable Adijo's in. Two o'clock in the morning, I woke up going to the loo. The light's on in the hallway. And you know what immediately arose in my mind is these people, I teach them mindfulness and meditation, and they can't even turn the light out.
So these kind of nagging tendencies in us. I worked so hard, nobody ever said we're grateful for remember. It's a condition, not a person. See it as a condition rather than <clears throat> resenting that if that is such a kind of condition arise in your mind or believing it, following it. Because I did, when that did, silly thing came in. These people of Jesus and meditation, they can't even turn on the light. It's so silly that it started laughing at two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes wake up and you feel on the way on the wrong side of your sleeping mat. See? Waking up on the wrong side of side of your sleeping mat, feel grumpy. And I think during the morning chanting and see who's there. <laughs> I bet they're just sleeping all the time. It's not really putting any effort. In a really, really grumpy mood. I come into the shrine, and you're all sitting here. Everyone's here. Straight here. And I think, look, I'm just sitting there so straight. They think they're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you're uh, away, nobody can do anything right. Even when they're doing it right, they're doing it wrong. That's another... <laughs> that's another condition of the mind. It's not a person. You can see these as conditions of mind rather than as personal problems, personal failures, or believing them to getting caught up and really being carried away by those feelings. <clears throat> so that the grumpiness, the grumpy state of mind is known as a condition, anicca dukkanata. The nagging is a anicca dukkanata. The fear of what others are thinking of it, you come in late. Overslap, you come in and, and then you start worrying about what everybody's thinking of you coming in late. They think I'm lazy. Worrying about what others think is a condition of mind. Or, we're here always on time and somebody comes in late and we we're thinking they always come in like, can't they ever be on time? That also is another condition of mind. You see what I'm doing? I'm bringing this up into full consciousness. The kind of trivial, they're trivial things, aren't they? None of terribly important. You can just kind of push them aside because they are trivial and, and one doesn't want to be bothered with this trivialities of life. But when we don't bother, then all that gets repressed, becomes karmically uh, conditioned into the mind. It has no way of ceasing. So it becomes a problem. We start worrying, feeling anxiety, feeling uh, a kind of aversion to ourselves and other people, depressed. All this comes from 
refusing to allow condition, trivialities, or horrible things to become a conscious. Because it's when you can allow something to become fully conscious that it ceases. So it's in the consciousness that the, that the way out exists, not in repressing things out of consciousness or just selecting certain nice things like trying to be an angel and a saint and trying to, to repress or get rid of the devils and the demons. But for liberation you need to see devils and demons no longer with preferences or aversion but as conditions Anicca Dukkanata, both the sweet little angel and the nasty little demon. They're all conditions of the mind. They come, they go. What arises passes away. <coughs> the doubting state of mind, I am never quite sure what to do in state of is fear and doubt, uncertainty, hesitation. I used to spend a lot of time just being in that state to deliberately bring up that state of never being sure. Just to be relaxed with that state of where the mind is, where is you're not grasping hold of any particular thing. should I do? Should I stay or should I go? Should I do this or should I do that? Should I do Anapanasati or should I do Vipassana? <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Just think, ask yourself questions with, with that can't be answered. And have no real, and these not, not be answered like, who am I? When you, like, that question, who am I, before you think it, you think it is, before you notice that empty space, before you start thinking it, who? Just be alert, just close your eyes, and just, before you think who, just know, the mind's quite empty, isn't it? Then who am I, and then the space after, the question mark. That comes and goes out of emptiness, doesn't it, of thought. When you try to, when you're just caught in thinking, habitual thinking, you can't see the rising of thought, can you? You can't, you can't see, you only catch thought after you've been, realize you've been thinking. So start deliberately thinking and catch the beginning of a thought before you actually think it. So you take deliberate thoughts like, who is the Buddha? Deliberately think, think that, so that you see the beginning, the forming of a thought, and the end of it, and the space around it. You're looking at thought and concept in a perspective rather than just reacting to it. I am 
we made a big I can deliberately think that if I, I think I am the, the major bit, my name is the major bit, this and that, I was born here, I did this and I've done that, and one thing goes on to the other, doesn't it? You have a whole, when you're talking or thinking about yourself, one thought goes on to the next. Or thinking about someone else, you think, say you're angry with somebody, you think, that's what he said, he said that, and he, he said this, and then he did this, and he didn't do that right, and he did that all wrong, and then he, he's so selfish. And then I remember what he did to so-and-so, and then one thing goes on to the next, doesn't it? You're just caught in this one thing going to the next, motivated by aversion. So rather than just being caught in that whole stream of associated thought, concept, deliberately thinking, he is the most selfish person I have ever met in the ending emptiness. He is a rotten egg, a dirty rat. He did this, and then he did that. And you see, and you listen to that, it's really funny, isn't it? It's silly to be thinking all like that. One time in Wadbop home, I was, when I first went there, I used to, tremendous anger and aversion arise. <clears throat> Sometimes I'd hate every monk in the meditation hall in Ajahn Chah. I just feel so frustrated sometimes because I never knew what was really happening. And, and I didn't, and I didn't want to have to sit for so long in pain. I didn't want to have to conform so much as I had to there. So a lot of aversion when I was had to con when I was expected to conform and adapt myself to their ways. I determined to do it, but so much anger arose. So I'd be sitting there, and I'd just feel me. I don't thought I'd be going on. Maybe he could give two hour talks in Lao. It'd be incredible pain in the knees. And when you're in pain, you get angry anyway. It all goes, why did he ever stop talking? I thought the Dhamma was simple. Why did he have to take two hours to say something? <laughs> and I become very critical of everybody. And then I started reflecting on this. I listened to myself getting angry, being critical, being nasty, presenting it. I don't want this, I don't want that, I don't, I don't see why I have to sit here, I don't want to be bothered with this silly thing, I don't know, and on and on, and I keep thinking, is that a very nice person that's saying that? Is that, is that what you want to be like? That thing that's always complaining and criticizing and finding fault, is that? Is that the kind of person you want to be? No, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> but I had to make it fully conscious to really see it, rather than believe. When I'm in righteousness, I felt very righteous. 
I felt right. And so that gave me, that gave it kind of credibility. When you feel righteous and you're indignant and you're feeling right about it and that, that they're wrong, then you, you can easily believe those kind of thoughts. I see no need for this kind of thing. After all, the Buddha said, the Buddha would never have allowed this. The Buddha, and I read, what I know of Buddhism, <laughs> into conscious form where you can see and make it absurd. All that goes to absurdity and they have a perspective on it because it's quite, quite amusing. You can see where, what comedy is about. Comedy is, is making these things absurd, oh, isn't it? Like good comedians makes our, our human hang-ups absurd and foolish so that we can laugh at them. So in, in this uh, meditation also, the humor in it, indeed, uh, we take ourselves so seriously. My problem, my life, it's, I'm so serious, it's so important to everything. I'm such an important person. My life is, is, is so terribly important that I must be extremely serious about it at all moment and that uh, my problems are so important so terribly important I have to spend a lot of time with my problems because they're so important I think it always carried away with this just look at the nutty people that come here their problems are so important <laughs> You spend hours, they'll tell you, over and over and over, some silly thing. And they, 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 when you get old, your mind just gets stuck in those, you see, like old people that have not lived widely, what it's like. It's just a horror show of confusion and selfishness and self-concern and obsession. That's what happens to a mind. It's not liberated, it's repressed. <clears throat> so that when you, and you can learn a lot from, say, look at, look at old people. They're the result of a lifetime in the human being. Result, result of karma. When, when one thinks of oneself as somehow very important, think, deliberately think, I'm a very important person, my problems are very important and serious. When you're deliberately thinking that, it sounds a bit funny, at least it does to me. It sounds silly, because really, you know, you realize you're not terribly important, none of it. And the problems we make out of life are, you know, trivial things. We make endless problems out of life, or, and we take, make them so important. 
some people can ruin their whole lives out of creating endless problems and taking it all so seriously. But in this way, you know, listening to that, watching, listening, bringing up things, bringing up things that you would have pushed aside. If you think of yourself as an important and serious person, then trivial things or foolish things you, do, you don't want. If you want to be a good person and a saintly one, then evil conditions you have to repress out of possible. If you want to be a loving and generous type being, then any kind of meanness or jealousy or stinginess you have to repress or annihilate in your mind. <clears throat> Remember in another one was a wanting to be a very generous, benevolent person, but also have uh, having uh, stingy tendencies. So I'd kind of go overboard, I'd be overly generous to counteract the fear of being considered stingy or selfish. So I couldn't be just ordinarily generous and you know, I'd have to be overly so, just to prove that I wasn't stingy for my the kind of, what do you call it, uh, a special word I've forgotten for that. But the, this we're not taking a fixed position, but noting what the fear of, uh, or not wanting to be something that we are afraid we might really be. Not that. What are you most afraid of in, in your life that you might really be? Or what are the fears or things in your mind that you most don't want to ever have to deal with or face? You can bring that up into consciousness. Think it up, watch it. Make confessions. I want to... Uh, be a heroin smuggler. I want to be a member of the mafia. I want to be a tyrant. I want to, whatever it is, you see it not not as a, not through analysis, but through reflecting that whatever. Even if you want to be something really nasty and terrible or something foolish or silly or trivial, we're not concerned with the quality of it anymore, but the mere characteristic that it's an impermanent condition, it's unsatisfactory, it has, it's just a, like a, a meaning, dukkha means it has no, there's no point in it that can ever satisfy you. comes and it goes, and it's not so. So in the, in the Vipassana practice now, calm the mind, practice the Anapanasati, and then let go, no, any kind of obsessive things coming up, and then skillfully uh, work with that, observe, listen to it. With the attitude of just being the knowing, being that 
Buddha wisdom, that knowing, rather than uh, getting analytical about it.
And I thought, this is exactly what a monastery should be, what Long Pa Paul is. This is what a monastery should be, because I'd just come from a monastery where I felt it shouldn't be that way. The monastery that I was in before shouldn't have been the way it was. And then going to Wat Pa Paul, this is how a monastery should be. And then after a while, I began to, after the initial romance wore off, then I began to see that it shouldn't, there are a lot of things that shouldn't be there. And then I began to worry because I saw certain signs of degeneration. I could detect them in the monastery. So I went to Ajahn Chah and they went on Bindabhat, went with him on Bindabhat. He said, Lumpur said, it shouldn't be this way. This monk's doing this, he shouldn't, and it shouldn't be like that. Remember the good old days when Wat Bapur was as it should be. What I was saying was, prop it up, Ajahn Chah. Keep propping it up. (laughs) I want you to keep propping it up. (laughs) To make it like like I want it to be permanently. <laughs> and he, he, he said, it'll change, it's waste. He didn't get upset at all. It's getting, you know, I see this and I see that. And, you know, it'll just fall apart. I have to leave. And then after a while, a few months later, it all started going up again. But I saw the wisdom in his approach was to to allow things to you know, to observe rather than to always be trying to control and hold everything together and prop it all up, keep it at a, at a kind of kind of impeccable uh, height of perfection at all times. Because you can't do that with the world. If things go, all, everything is cyclical and changing. So in our practice now is not to try to hold on to an ideal of monasticism and all cause and keep trying to prop it up and get rid of everything or anything that might threaten it, but to observe, to be the mindful one who knows that what arises passes away and is not self. So we're not here to make a perfect monastery, a perfect community, perfect monks, perfect undergarments, perfect eyes, perfect merites, everything as it should be, but we're observing this in ourselves, that which is frightened of change, or doesn't want things to go the way they're going. Just to observe that that in itself is a condition of mind. In a monastery like this, we we use the sila as a kind of standard to keep it from getting too far out. We do have our limits for degeneration. <laughs> we, allow, we can allow it to get degenerate to a certain level, but then it, beyond that we can't allow it anymore because of the precepts. 
So we don't smoke dope, drink, watch television, have big parties and carry on in ways that would be uh, wrong according to the precept. So you, when you do it, you keep that standard clear. And people that can't live by that standard then must, you know, should go live somewhere else where they can live according to the standard they want. And this is voluntary. But the, sometimes the community here will feel very inspired, uplifted. Everybody kind of feeling a sangha of souls gathered together for the practice of the Dharma. Other times, the things will people who complaining, suspicions, fears, criticisms, factions, resentment, misunderstandings, things seem to be fall apart. But the wise being will just observe this, will learn from both. here to to make the world perfect or that we're not here to to be heedless either easy just to say don't bother it's not important but that's why we have to always it's in a sense of balance not in a fixed position so that we we, we learn from the way things go but we don't uh, out of just laziness or anger, or that, just let things go the wrong way. 
we do what we can to to uh, stability the balance within ourselves in our sense in our what can we give and serve and help this attitude of helping and serving each other being kind to each other even when you're even when you're angry with each other, be kind to each other. When I remember Bunwai, Venerable Nando, he went through a whole year of feeling very, very great animosity to me. Tremendous aversion to me. And every night he'd come and massage my feet. I didn't even know that he hated me. <laughs> when I found out, I was shocked. I, I couldn't have done that. Go and massage somebody see who I hated. Remarkable, isn't it, to be able to do that? But he could obviously keep it in a perspective, couldn't he, of not letting it interfere with what was kind or good to do, his own personal feeling. He could let go of that to do what was the generous and kind action rather than the nasty, selfish, vindictive, or petty one. That's a sign of a great uh, being, isn't it? Someone that can still keep going spite of the emotional things that are going on, doing the right thing regardless. I'm not going to massage his feet and can't stand him. You can imagine things that would go on in But here in the community, regardless of whether we very particularly uh, like somebody or dislike them, let not that be the deciding factor in what is the right thing to do and how we act. So that we act in a way that is kindly, compassionate, generous, rather than selfish and mean and petty. revengeful. Walking practice you know, develop that so that it's uh, it's a uh, you have a kind of a level of concentration and also reflects one just one step at a time investigate just walking putting one foot in front of the other if certain thoughts come up all the time while you're walking certain kind of obsession or foolish things. Sometimes sometimes the mind will just be obsessed with a silly idea. 
I, I don't know where it comes from either. Be going along, and there's this foolish kind of silly thought will keep coming in. <laughs> Wish it would go away, shut up. I want to be completely mindful of each step, and then this stupid kind of obsessive thought comes in. You want to get rid of what is trivial and annoying, don't you? If you're a, a person that doesn't like trivialities or foolishness, then you, you really resent it. We would like to think of ourselves, well, I like to think of myself as being a serious, intelligent, rational, sensible kind of man. And so anything silly or trivial or foolish can't be bothered with. Get out. Don't bother me. Have no time for that. Because I'm a sensible, practical, intelligent, rational being. And anything that comes into my mind that isn't that way, I'm just going to bash, annihilate completely, destroy mercilessly because I don't have time for that kind of thing. What does that sound like? <laughs> we use the trivial, foolish for patience, don't we? To be patient with the, the trivial, the foolish, the silly side of existence. Remember the kind of righteous monk I used to be. I want only people around me who are serious meditators, who are going to commit themselves to the Dhamma fully, who are intelligent, and will give themselves, surrender, not ask stupid questions or be selfish. That's the kind of people I want. The others I want nothing to do with. I can't be bothered with those with the silly, foolish people of this world. <laughs> but somebody who's really dedicating themselves to the Dharma asks intelligent questions and practices diligently, I can, I'll give my life to, I'll, I'll sacrifice my life for them. a kind of righteousness, a kind of egotistical quality, aren't they? I can't be bothered with the women who cry. I can't be bothered with people with problems. I can't be bothered with this and that because my, I'm somehow so important that I can only work with the very best, the top grade, the top level, the cream of the crop. It sounds like pretty arrogant to me, doesn't it? Sounds arrogant. It's kind of arrogant. It comes from this life. <clears throat> but it sounds right too, doesn't it? It sounds so right, you know. It's after all, you've got, you, 
You only got one lifetime. You can't spend with a lot of fools. You've got to. And then it goes on like this. Well, after all, you can't just. You've got to. You know, you can't help everybody. After all, <laughs> This makes us very impatient when we're very righteous and important and serious and very intelligent and very rational and we, we tend to lack patience. With that which is silly or trivial or uncertain or unclear or foolish. The reflect if you're that kind of a person then even welcome the foolishness of life not not to go out and seek it but to use that kind of feeling or that you don't want to be bothered with something as a way of becoming a little more patient a little more kind than you would otherwise so you you're you're actually using the experiences of your life in a very skillful way rather than getting rid of everything that annoys you and trying to create an environment where, where you think you can actually do something and accomplish something and attain something. <clears throat> because as I was saying this morning, it's not a matter of attainment or achievement, but in wise reflection and understanding of the way it is. The trivial, foolish, dharmas as well as the serious important ones. They're all conditions. The Sankata Dharma. Whether it's absolute trivia or the most important thing in the whole world. It, in this we're not denying the quality, but we're not exact we're not grasping the qualities of conditions but observing. Being patient using conditions for balance rather than just annihilation and indulgence. So in the, in the like in the walking practice, investigate how the, the attitude you have about it, the, the, uh, just the things that come and go in your mind while you're, you're walking for an hour. 